All right, our scripture today comes from Mark 6, 1 through 13. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were surprised. Where did this man get all of this? What's this wisdom he's been given? What about the powerful acts accomplished through him? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Jesus, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They were, they were repulsed by him and fell into sin. Jesus said to them, Prophets are honored everywhere except in their own hometowns, among their relatives, and in their own households. He was unable to do any miracles there except that he placed a few, his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He was appalled by their disbelief. Then Jesus traveled through the surrounding villages teaching. He called for the twelve and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no bread, no bags, and no money in their belts. He told them to wear sandals, but not put on two shirts. He said to them, whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. If a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you, as you leave, shake off the dust from your feet as a witness against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should change their hearts and lives. They cast out many demons, and they anointed many sick people with olive oil and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. So we couldn't. God is good, amen? Or God is good? All the time. God is good. All the time. Amen. So we have a lot of things not working, like uh, my lapel mic, my mic, uh, wireless mic. So we're going to make do with Paul's vocal mic. So this is awesome. Um, but... God is good and God is powerful. God can do all things and he's able, amen? He's able to heal our sicknesses. He's able to lift us up from wherever we're at, whatever situation we're in, whatever challenges we may be going through. God is able, right? And this passage, it might, it, it kind of on a surface level, it seems like Jesus might not be able to do some things, right? Because it says, because there was no faith, because they did not believe, Jesus was unable to heal. Jesus was unable to do things. But does that mean he's not able, able? Did that mean he wasn't capable of healing, capable of casting out demons, capable of doing anything? No. I think what it means is people weren't open, right? People weren't vulnerable. People weren't trusting in Jesus. People weren't dancing with Jesus, relating with Jesus, coming to Jesus without pride, but in humility saying, I need you. You are my rock. You are my water. You are my well. And I think this is a message that our culture, our society definitely needs to hear more of. Amen? We are a culture of, I can do it. And I can do it myself. We are a culture that says, I'm the best. 
right? I'm capable, I'm competent, I'm able, I have the power to do this. I have the knowledge to do this. I have the competence to do this. We live in a culture where our leaders, right? The people who lead our country, our companies, uh, our children, our schools, it's hard for us to apologize or ask for forgiveness when we're wrong. We'd rather cover things up than to say, hey, my bad. My bad, I'm, I'm not perfect, right? I'm human, I'm not able. And, and so we, we build these walls around our hearts. We build these walls around our lives that say, I'm able, I don't need God. And yes, we are independent. Yes, we are the greatest nation on earth. No, maybe not. <laughs> We've probably gone down a lot. A lot. <laughs> but, like, but in reality, we're only great when we, when we recognize that we need Jesus. Amen? So my question to you is, where is your hometown? Literally, where is your hometown? Or where you were born, where you grew up, um, and how long has it been since you've been here? Anyone, anyone, since you've been to your hometown? What? <laughs> You're from here? Yeah. <laughs> Someone else. <laughs> Alex Park, Colorado. <laughs> That's in Colorado, obviously. <laughs> All right, how long has it been since you've been there? There in the summer, okay. But you, what, you were born there, went to elementary there, high school. Okay, anyone else? Washington, D.C. D.C., are you with me? <laughs> anyone else? How long has it been? Two months. Two months, okay. And is it the same every time you go back, or changes? It makes you sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I grew up all over the place. Um, I was born in Hawaii, then we moved to Samoa, then we went to LA, then we went to uh, Texas, then Georgia, um, and then Washington. And then within Washington, we moved around a lot. Uh, but I would say my hometown is Seattle. But if, if I think about my elementary years, and sometimes I think about Texas, what would it be like if I went back to my hometown? Right, or where, where I was young, where my formative elementary years were, uh, what would it be like? And uh, one of the things I think about or fantasize about is, oh, I would race that one kid that beat me. <laughs> when we were like, as the fastest kid in the neighborhood, I'd go back and I'll beat him and say, yeah, I'm, I'm faster than you in mid middle age, <laughs> right? Or, um, you know, uh, sometimes I think about, has anyone gone to like a high school reunion or a college reunion or anything like that? Uh, didn't go? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so I always, uh, I think I've gone to one high school reunion and uh, me and my friends, we're, we're still, my friends from high school, we're still friends and we're like, let's, let's go and like show off, we'll rent a nice car and like pretend that this is our car and we'll like, get all decked out and we'll come and we're like, we used to call ourselves the minority posse, right? Because we were like the people of color and we'd walk in and we'd be like, yeah, and we'll come with our entourage and just kind of put on this thing because we were nobodies in high school, right? We were kind of nerdy. We were like, you know, 
uh, kind of off in high school. And so we want to show that, yeah, we, we were smart and we worked hard and we, you know, got, got good careers and we're skinny or whatever. Like, so I'm like, putting, like not eating, trying to diet and stuff so I can look like I'm uh, really, really thin and, and stuff like that. But uh, the whole point of all of that, the whole point of kind of dreaming about going back is, man, when I was there in high school, I was labeled, right? I was stereotyped or I was put in a, in a, in a niche, right? I was put uh, in a group and this is David. He's the short, he weighs 115 pounds, dripping, soaking wet, and he's loud and obnoxious, right? And makes these funny high-pitched sounds. And like, he's annoying. They used to call me Sim Boy in high school, right? Because I was like a little boy. I was hyper, and Sim is my last name. And so I always felt, oh, people laughed with me or laughed at me, but maybe they didn't really take me seriously. Right? When it came to the like, you know, important things or serious conversations or matter, like this guy matters, that wasn't me, right? And I was just the crazy hyper guy. And so I think about, I think about, oh, I want to change people. If I go to my high school reunion, I want to show them, right? I'm somebody. I'm a pastor of a mega church, right? <laughs> or something like that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but kind of change people's perception of you because we know the reality is that pe as people, we evolve, right? With time, everyone grows and changes and learns and learns new things, get better at things, change our ways. And yet, people from our past only know us as we were. And so when you run into someone from your past, you know, there's all this anxiety. I don't know if any of you have ran into an old sweetheart, right? If you run into an old sweetheart, like someone you dated, you want to you wanna kind of put on a front like, I'm doing well. You know, like, life got better after you. <laughs> right? All these things, right? And um, so we want to put our best foot forward. We want to kind of change the label that was put on us. We want to change the stereotypes that were put on us and we want to show that we've changed because we have changed. And yet it's the, in the nature of people to put, we put each other in categories, right? We put, each, we put labels on people and we wrap them up in a nice box and say, this person is this, right? In high school, it's this person is a geek. This person is a band nerd. This person is a jock. This person, is going to be the most likely to succeed. This person is not going to succeed, right? And we, we wrap that in a bow and a box and put that in our shelf on our shelf and categorize them like books on a shelf. And, you know, so there's order because we like to know our environment. We like to kind of have a control of what we know about people. And so that's why we label them. Are you with me? Yes, no, maybe? Um, so when Jesus comes to his hometown, uh, in the chapters before this, he's doing ministry. He's, and things are blowing up. People are following him. People are coming to him left and right, and he's healing them, and like powerful things are happening. Demons are getting cast out. But then he comes to his hometown, 
his disciples follow him, and many who hear him, the scriptures say, were surprised. And they're like, when, where did this man get all of this? What's this wisdom he's been given? And if you remember, if you rewind, oh, by the way, we're back in our series, the Gospel of Mark, uh, from our Advent series, so we're coming back into chapter 6. But if you remember in earlier chapters in Mark, when he was teaching in the synagogues, people would be like, man, where does he get this? But they're amazed, they're in awe by his authority and the power in his teaching. But they're saying the same thing, but in a negative way, right? In a derogative way, they're saying, what wisdom um, has he been given? Who is this guy? Because don't we know him? He's the guy who grew up down the street. He's Joseph's kid, the carpenter's kid. He, he has siblings. I remember, you know, we used to play uh, football in the cul-de-sac. Right? Oh, I got in a fight with Jesus and I beat him up yeah. when we were kids. Right? I know him. Right? He had a running nose and he had bad body odor and bad breath. Right? We know Jesus and now who is he to speak with such authority? Where is this coming from? And so there's a juxtaposition, right? There's a disruption in their mind because they know Jesus. They're very intimate with who Jesus was growing up. Right? And they label him, they stereotype him, they categorize him. That's human nature. We all do that. But obviously, the other part of human nature is we're always moving. We're dynamic. We change. Right? So that's a, it's a weird tension. Right? People are always changing, but when people know you, they don't necessarily let you change. Right? Oh, I hate that. And when I hang out with my family, my immediate family, my siblings, and my parents, I feel like I'm 12 again, right? Even though I've matured, I'm like a wise pastor, right? My mom can say one word and I'm like, <laughs> I'm a baby again, right? Or she, uh, the other day we were having lunch and she was like, oh, and I was speaking to her in Korean and she was like, oh, you know that word? You're getting so good at Korean. I'm like, I've always known Korean. I've always, I'm not getting better. I've known this. Right? Why won't you let me grow? Why? Or my brother's like, you know, we're having a debate. He's like, shh, shh. Don't talk, babe. Don't talk. Just listen. Just listen. You're always talking. Just listen. I'm like, what? I'm a good listener. Don't you know? and you're, you know, you think you know, you're a know-it-all, and you think you know everything. I'm like, what? I'm so, like, open, right? And I have such a good, past, I have good pastoral disposition. I listen to people, right? And I honor their opinions and, like, all this. And he's like, nah, nah, just listen, David. Um, and so inside it just makes me just want to go, ah, let me change. I'm not who I was when I was 12. I'm not who I was in your eyes 10 years ago. Let me change. And this is the dynamic that Jesus is talking about, that prophets in their own hometown aren't honored, right? He can go here and there all over Israel, but when he's in his hometown, he's getting questioned. People, in fact, 
It says they were repulsed by him and fell into sin. Right? He was so different than their expectations of him. Right? It's like crabs in a bucket. Have you ever had uh, when crabbing and put crabs in a bucket? One's trying to flop, you know, climb up to the top, and the other one that I grab it's like, no, you come back down here. You come back down here. When you're in your neighborhood, in your hometown, and you're trying to be more than you were, people are always grabbing you, right? Because there's this insecurity in us that says, what does it mean if they've grown and I haven't? Right? Surely they couldn't have climbed out of this bucket. I'm going to grab them back down so I can feel better about myself. Or I'm going to grab them back down so I can know at least I have my categories set. My book's on a bookshelf, so I know where people stand and where I stand with people. And so when that, that kind of hierarchy we create and category that we create in our minds that starts to shift, it drives us haywire. Because what does that mean about us? What does that mean about me? Are you with me, church? In Texas, growing up in Texas, we had a, uh, there used to be a creek by an off course. And there were uh, crawdads in that creek. And it used to take great gin and time, you know, uh, dental blocks or stream to it. And they don't need a to see the creek. You put it in, this, in the creek. And you pull this cut, and you slowly pull it up, and they're holding on to the bacon, right? They're holding on to the bacon, and then you just bring them up, because they're so stubborn, and you bring them up, and you catch all this, you scrape it, right? And then you used to have a fight, right? You put them in the bucket together, and they just like claw each other and tear each other up. And we also, uh, in Texas, and on a tree, there's the Japanese eagles that have strong claws, and they, you know, we put them together, and they like tear each other up. And sometimes that's what people do, right? We pull each other down, we claw at each other, because it's a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. That we don't have self-love, Right, if we have self-hatred or insecurity, self-loathing, we may reflect that, project that on other people. And that's what makes it hard for us to celebrate with other people. Some of you, that's actually, some of you might be awesome and magnanimous, right? You celebrate when people succeed and joyful when people are joyful. Uh, but sometimes, right, there's certain people when they succeed, you're like, <laughs> like, I want to be better. Um, amen? That's good. Um, so there's this apparent power outage, right? Prophets aren't honored everywhere except in, uh, are honored everywhere except in their hometown and their household. And it says in verse 5, he was unable to do any miracles there. Unable. Except that he placed his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He was appalled by their disbelief. Right? So he didn't, there wasn't a huge revival with all these people being healed. Like in the past, in his past church. It was just like a little here and there. 
and it says he was appalled by his disbelief. And there's a couple of times in scripture where it says Jesus is amazed or in awe or appalled or surprised. And the other instances are like a centurion, right? Jesus was surprised or in awe by his faith, right? And here he's in awe by the opposite, by their disbelief, their lack of faith. Jesus is in awe. And there's two kind of polar opposite kind of uh, results, right? And it's not that Jesus is unable, right? Because we already have established God is able, Jesus is able. He can do anything with our life. He can do anything with us. It's not that. It has to do with us, right? It has something to do with our lack of faith and trust, right? And I would say, um, Jesus, one way to say it is Jesus, God is a gentleman, right? God's not going to do anything that you don't want him to do, right? We have bullish. We have strength of will. We have a choice. And so if we're right, if God is like, here, eat. I've got good food for you. I've got water, everlasting water for you. I've got healing and good life and joy and celebration for you. And we're running away? Are we going to get that? No. Right? He's not going to grab you in a chokehold and say, come over here. And force me to that. Right? To a certain extent, if we say no, 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 we're not going to receive. And God will be unable to help us because we are not open to God helping us. Are you with me, church? And some would call that hell. Right? The consistent choosing away from God, away from things of the Holy Spirit. That's like you're walking away from God in the hell. Right? Some, some, some call that that's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Right? An unforgivable sin. Jesus said there's only one unforgivable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So if you're visiting on the very power and force of God that would change, right? That would forgive you and save you. If you're saying no to that, then it's unforgivable, right? Because you're saying to those the very that is going to forgive you. Are you with me, church? And so God is a gentleman. If we consistently reject him, he's not going to force us. And so, and Jesus, they were so unfaithful that Jesus was in awe. Sorry, I'm moving around a lot. So let's, um, just think about their disbelief. Like how strong that was that even Jesus would be amazed by how unbelieving they were. And again, that, that whole fact that they were repulsed by him and fell into sin. Like you're rejecting someone so much, you're so repulsed by someone that that moves you into sin. Into like raging and like gossiping and like tearing someone apart in your heart. Right? They, they fell into sin. And I want to pull out three things for all of you people who like lists and three points. I want to pull out three points from what comes from a lack of trust and faith in Jesus. A lack of faith, one, makes us mis, uh, misunderstand and misappropriate Jesus. Right? Another way to say it, we misrepresent Jesus. 
we say he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. Right, just like the people from his hometown. Oh, isn't he just this? Wasn't he just that? This, and not, oh, Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is salvation. Right? So we misappropriate. Jesus, misappropriation means, you know, you're taking the identity, the value of Jesus, and using that, shaping that into our own image, and using that for our own gain and profit. Right? Wow. Number two, a lack of trust and faith leads to dishonoring Jesus. Right? They dishonored Jesus. A prophet is not honored in his hometown. When people misunderstand and mislabel me, right? They dis they dishonor me. I feel dishonored um, because I'm being minimized. Right? And so Jesus is being minimized. Surely Jesus can't do this, right? Surely he's only this or that, right? Oh, that's just the carpenter's son. I grew up with him. I, I know him, but he's not that. He's not him, right? And that's dishonoring. And number three, a lack of trust and faith leads us to missing out of the miracle and the power Redemptive power and renewal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Because they did not trust Jesus, because they lacked faith, they missed out on the healing. Right? Jesus was unable to do that in that place. We become stuck in the bucket of our own disbelief. Right? Grabbing at other crabs. But we miss out on the hand that will lift us up of the bucket. Right? And then we have a scarcity mentality. If there can be nothing for me, then there can be nothing for you. Right? If I die, you die. Right? That's the scarcity. Um, so I want to tie this part to the second part. The second part of our passage is Jesus sending out the disciples to go minister two by two into the surrounding villages. Right? There's a parallel. Jesus is doing ministry in his hometown and to, to non-success. And now he's sending out, and it says Jesus sends out his disciples, gives them the authority to cast out demons. He gives them um, his authority, his power. And to a certain extent, they come back with success stories, right? Even Jesus' disciples were more successful, numbers-wise or fruit-wise, in this instance, than Jesus himself, right? So they have his authority. They can heal just like Jesus. They have the authority to cast out demons just like Jesus. But Jesus wants to give them a foundation, wants to give them a lesson and, and some wisdom for the journey. And that's what we've been talking about. Trust and belief in Jesus. Leaning into Jesus and how do how do we learn about trust? Or how will we push into trust? What does he say? When you go on the journey, don't take all these resources. Don't take your car. Don't take your fanny pack. Right? Don't take your cool backpacks. Don't take your Venmo, your credit cards. Right? Just take a walking stick, a couple tunics, sandals. Right? Just strip, like bare necessities. 
bare necessities, and going to a town, you have nothing, so you're relying upon the hospitality of the people in the town to get by, to live, to eat, to sleep. And so what happens when we're stripped down to our bare necessities? Right? That's what the, the discipline of fasting is, right? We fast, like whether it's we fast from eating or we fast from other things like fast from spending money or fast from drinking coffee. We strip ourselves down from those things so that our hearts become more open to trusting in God, right? We're more raw and we're more available to trusting in God. And so they're stripped down to the bare necessities so that on their journey, in their missionary journey, as they're preaching and ministering, they're reliant on God. They're reliant on Jesus. Right? They're reliant on the Holy Spirit to move. Right? Trust in Jesus. And this is tied to, I'm going to tie this to rejection. Because I, I think rejection, the fear of rejection and the fear of failure is that force, that dynamic that most impedes us from trusting in Jesus and moving in boldness and courage, right? The biggest obstacle for you daring to do great things or braving something new is the fear of rejection or failure, right? If we're only reliant on ourselves and only reliant on how people view us and how we view other people, if we put everything upon ourselves, everything is our responsibility and it's all on me, right? We tend to be paralyzed, right? And not act. Because what does it mean if I act, I go for it, and I fail? What does it mean if I share Jesus, right? People are going to I think I'm crazy. People are going to think I'm, you know, a lunatic, right? I'm going to, and if you're a people pleaser like me, right? It's like, oh, I want to look good. I want people to like me, right? And to share things, share Jesus or share love that might be countercultural or that people might be unhappy with initially, Right, that's challenging or confrontational, right, may be hard. And if we value the th uh, people liking us more than the truth, uh, we may choose people liking us. Are you with me, church? Or if we are afraid of failure, we'll never grow because we won't take those steps, right? If you're not afraid of failure, you'll do whatever, right? It's like me in the weight room. And I see all those big guys going, rah, 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 I'm like, and I end up not doing anything, right? Because I don't want them to see my little weights going, like, <laughs> right? Like, and so there's something like, in men in particular, like, if I'm not competent at this, I'm just not going to try it, right? If I don't know how to do it, I'm not going to do it. But to, to trust Jesus means you, you'll risk failure because, right, Jesus was the ultimate failure in the world's eyes. Right? But in that failure was life and life everlasting. And so it's, if we are like, it's okay to fail because I got Jesus and Jesus got me, then you can 
skydive off of the space needle, right? You can spiritually, or like in your life, like metaphorically, skydive. Amen? Jesus equips the disciples with great authority and sends them out stripped down to the bare essentials. Why? Because he wants them to live the life of trust. They're dependent on God, not their own resources. They are reliant on others' hospitality. They are reliant on God to provide. They are fasting from the equipment of life. This is an exercise of faith. It's not, you know, like David and Goliath. It's not the helmet, the shield, the sword. It's just my five smooth stones and my slingshot, right? Not even the shoes will make me better. And then the second thing you want to pull out of this, and this is like the core of why we don't want to fail. It's not on us whether or not people receive Jesus. It's not on us. We don't change people's hearts. We don't heal people's lives. Jesus, God changes people. God heals people. God transforms people. God renews people. We are just vessels and vehicles and carriers and witnesses of that power. Amen? So all God's already there. We just have to show up and go, ah! Right? And God does it. And even in our awkwardness, even in our inability to articulate, even in our kind of, I don't know what I'm doing, we just got to put ourselves out there and there's something in that as the Holy Spirit moves and God in us, that moves other people. Amen? So it's on God to change hearts. It's on God to change lives. It's on God to heal and bring to life. Right? It's not our responsibility. And so, why do we make it about ourselves? Right? Stop making it about ourselves. It's not about how people perceive you, how people view you. It's not about your own failure or success. If we took all those things out, we would live so much more freely, amen? We would just be lights. We would just be vessels. We would be witnesses. We would love people. Right? And share Jesus and share our share God's love um, with everyone around us. Because it's not about you. Right? And at the same time, it's all about you, right? It's all about what God is doing in you and through you as we say yes. And that's what wiping the dust off our feet means. Jesus says, and as you go through these towns, and people don't receive you, right? And they're not, right? They're, they're like my hometown. They're rejecting me and not believing. Just go from that town. And as you're leaving the town, wipe the feet off. Put the dust off your feet. Because basically that's saying, it's not about me. I did my part. I presented or I, I was out there. It's knowing the limitations of our power and responsibility while honoring the boundaries of other, other people's volition, right? I did what was in my capacity to do, and they did not receive it. And we tend to get in God's way, right? Because whatever, we fear rejection, 
we feel fear failure, we're insecure, you know, it's about us. Um, but we can participate right, in lives being changed. And that's renewed, renewed by God for the renewal of our neighbors. That's our vision. Right? That's what God is about. He's renewing our communities. He's renewing the whole world, all of creation. He's renewing people's lives. And we get to participate in what God is already doing all the time, all the time in our world. We just have to open our eyes and jump in, right? And not and trust, right? With our walking stick and our two tunics and just jump in, right? Uh, we don't need our smoke machine, right? We don't need our lights. We just give our hearts, give ourselves and jump in. God does something. God does Amen. And finally, we are used to worshiping, especially in America, hometown Jesus. Right? What I mean by hometown Jesus is what we think Jesus is. Right? We worship the creation of our own hands. Right? We try to put God in our image rather than being shaped into the image of God. Does that make sense? And scripture speaks against that, right? They worship the works of their hands instead of worshiping the creator. They worship what they could do, what they say Jesus is, what they say Jesus God is. And in, our, in America, things like nationalism, right? We say, what? Like, this is superior, right? This is what is great. And then we say, that's what Jesus is. We put Jesus in that box. So we worship American Jesus. Right? We worship prosperity Jesus. If you're successful in the world's eyes, if you're rich, if you have your bling, that means God is blessing you in some way. Right? Or we worship my own Jesus, my own personal Jesus. Right? My individual Jesus. What 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 I perceive Jesus to be. And we shape Jesus into that box. But Jesus is a disruptor. Right? If Jesus wasn't a disruptor, he wouldn't have been crucified. Right? If the prophets weren't disruptors, right? they wouldn't have been persecuted. Right? Jesus wants to change us. But in order for change to happen, right, there's going to be disruption of how we put Jesus in a box and put him on our shelves and say, this is hometown Jesus. Wasn't he, wasn't he the carpenter's son? Right? This, is, this is American Jesus. Right? Doesn't that mean white supremacy? Doesn't that mean this is that? But Jesus wants to pull that out. And say, no, I'm going to watch, watch, watch. 